in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, want to welcome you to another Thursday teaching uh, that we call TNT. And we thank God for each and every one of you joining us across the various platforms in which the Lord has allowed for us to be able to do this work. Um, I'm excited today to um, come and talk to you about serving for the glory of God. And uh, coming from 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 7 through 11, we're going to read that in just a moment. But thank you for joining us as far as this moment of teaching is concerned. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer uh, as we uh, seek uh, the Spirit's illumination on this word that we're getting ready to have at this time. God, we come and we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to study your word one more time to glean of your word, to learn more from thee. We pray right now, God, that in the name of your son, Jesus, that you, by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, will um, teach us. You are the master rabbi. Teach us your precepts and let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Uh, show yourself mighty and strong, O God, as only you can. It is in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. 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 First Peter chapter four, starting at verse seven through verse 11. Uh, let's get ready to do what I would call the dig, uh, the exegetical work, the highlights. Um, and let's look at um, this text and I'm going to read it and have you to highlight and underline and circle some words that I think may be important. If you see some things that you want to highlight or underline or circle, do it your own way. This is just my suggestion. You may have a different eye, so I want to encourage you to do your own dig. I'm just going to give you what I've come up with and uh, where I'm going to focus as far as our time is concerned. So as we move forward, uh, verse 7, but to the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as the ability which God supplies that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory and dominion forever and ever. So let's uh, quickly, let's do what I would call the, the, the deep dive, the dig as far as uh, this time is concerned. And uh, let's highlight and uh, focus on some key phrases. Verse 7. But the end of all things, I want you to, if you would, um, highlight the word all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. If you would, underline that phrase, be serious and watchful in your prayers prayers. Underline that. Verse 8, 
And above all things, if you would, uh, uh, highlight the phrase all things. And if you would, draw a line from all things in verse 8 to all things in verse 7. Having fervent love for one another, circle the word love, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Underline the phrase, love will cover a multitude of sins. Circle the word love in that phrase, draw a line from uh, love in that phrase to have fervent love for one another to fervent love in the phrase before. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Highlight that phrase, or verse rather. As each one has received the gift, underline the words a gift, minister to one another. If you would, highlight the phrase minister. As good stewards, if you would, circle the phrase good stewards. Of the manifold grace of God, if you would highlight the manifold grace of God. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If you would highlight the phrase, um, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, if you would highlight the phrase, I like the word minister and then draw a line from the word minister in verse 11 to minister in verse 10. Let him do it to the ability to which God supplies that in all things, if you would highlight the phrase all things, draw a line from the phrase all things in verse 11 to all things in verse 8. And then underline that last, the rest of this verse God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right. It is my hope and prayer that you all have been able to do this deep dive with me for right now. Now that we have done what I call the exegetical, let's move forward with the uh, exposition and explanation. And this is where we would do our teaching. Okay. So this is Peter uh, writing the Christians um, at his time that are making themselves ready for what is coming down the pipe as far as persecution is concerned, as far as the spreading of the gospel is concerned. And when we look at verse 7, we got to interpret verse 7 within the context in which Peter is writing verse 7. So the context in which Peter is writing verse 7 is really coming from a mindset that Peter is under the um, thinking that Jesus Christ is getting ready to come back imminently, like within a few years, if not sooner. So he is writing this from the perspective that Jesus Christ is coming back real, real soon. All right. So 
the reason that I'm able to um, come up with that idea because remember in verse 6 of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, the previous verse, we, we saw for this reason the gospel is preached that also those who have died, those who are dead, that they might be judged according to the men in the flesh, but live according to God in spirit. Um, after mentioning the Christians that he had died, he now refers to the imminent return of Christ for his church. And so, like I said, since he is thinking that this time is going to be real, real short, that whatever they do, they need to live for God and serve Jesus Christ. So when we look at verse 7, and as we unpack verse 7, we unpack verse 7 from the perspective that Peter is trying to encourage the Christians to do a couple of things. Number one, don't give in to the pressure of sin. And then number two, to be steadfast and to be uh, discerning as far as looking for the quick return of Jesus Christ. See, these Christians at this particular time were facing persecution because of the name of Jesus Christ. You got to understand that at this time, the Christian movement or the movement of the way is not readily acceptable as far as the larger culture, the larger society was concerned back then. Um, Christianity really did not become totally acceptable until Constantine made it a religion of the state. So Christians were being persecuted. They were being driven underground. Uh, this is part of the reason that Paul was persecuting the church. So they're catching persecution from uh, the Romans, and they're also catching persecution from the Jews. Peter is writing this statement to give hope and comfort to those early disciples to the fact that their suffering would one day end and that the evil ways of wicked people was going to be judged and that the Lord was getting ready to come back and Peter wanted to make sure that the desire of Jesus would be fulfilled, that the gospel would be preached to all people before he returned, all right? So this warning, though, still remains true for us today. Now, even though it's been 2,000 years, you must understand that God's way of counting ain't like our way of counting. Um, uh, in the Bible, it says that uh, a thousand years is like a day in the sight of God. So remember, God's way of counting is not like our way of counting. So we as believers today, even in 2021, must always remember that the end is near. For Christ can come the next hour or the next 30 minutes or even the next second. And that's why we should live in such a way that we're looking for the advent or the second coming of Christ. We should live in such a way that when Jesus comes back, we will be ready. That's why Peter says, be serious and watchful in your what? Prayers. Now let's unpack these words because there's something to be said about the word serious and watchful in your prayers. He is saying, be serious. In other words, 
Uh, this is opposite of insanity and drunkenness. Okay? Be serious and watchful. Um, serious basically means that you are clear-minded. Watchful basically means that you have a level of self-control. So this refers to um, uh, sobriety and restraint. We are to have a clear head. We're to take Christ's return seriously. Persecution and suffering. Battles against clear-mindedness. When you're going through suffering, when you're dealing with worry, when you're facing persecution, it's hard to have a clear mind. Um, Self-control is difficult when you face injustice because you really want to go off on folks. You really want to get people back. So Paul is saying, listen, our time is short. Jesus Christ is on the way back, but your reward is sure. So maintain seriousness and watchfulness so you can pray intelligently and appropriately. All right. He wants them to understand that as you engage in a watchfulness as far as your prayers is concerned, Peter remembers when he wasn't watchful during the time in the Garden of Gethsemane when the Jesus says, I want you to watch and pray with me. And when Jesus went into the inner sanctum sanctorium of the Garden of Gethsemane, his own personal spiritual space, Peter and the rest of the disciples went to sleep. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he knew how easy it was to get knocked off your mark if you're not serious and you're not watchful in your prayers. And see, this is what we have to understand. This is what we have to understand. Um, this is the same Peter, the one that recognized Jesus to be the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, and if you ever read Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through verse 20, you will see that conversation where Jesus unpacks and says, uh, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my father, which is in heaven, and you are Peter, and upon this rock, upon your confession, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'm going to give you keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. He, he gives Peter an awesome charge, an awesome responsibility. And then a few chapters later, when Jesus is talking about, I'm getting ready to go to the cross and die, and Peter's saying, we ain't going to never let that happen. And Jesus then moves from calling him Peter the Rock to calling him Simon. Simon, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that when you are converted, strengthen your brother. And then he also said, get thee behind me, Satan. So Peter knows what it is to deal with these two extremities of the Lord applauding you and then the Lord condemning you. So what does that have for us today? That means that we got to have self-discipline when we pray, serious and watchful. Rather than merely doing a quick blessing on your food, you know, that famous prayer, 
you look down at your fried chicken, your collard greens, your macaroni and cheese, your cornbread, and you say, Jesus, well, or a three-minute devotional, and you think you're getting your time in. There are times when you really need to be sincere and sober and really talk to the Lord. The reason that many of us are so unprepared when persecution comes is because we don't spend time with the Lord. Last night on our prayer call, and we have this uh, prayer call every Wednesday night for about 15 minutes. Um, the disciples of the church and those that join the prayer call, many of them get on about anywhere between 25 to 30 people are on at 8 o'clock. They're fellowshipping with each other, having a good time, catching up with each other, encouraging each other. And at 8.15, I come on. I lead us in a devotional, and then we have prayer. What we got to understand is that devotional is a requirement, or it entails, rather, scripture and prayer. You have to know how to pray scripture. This is praying scripture. And so what winds up happening is that uh, I would do a devotional and then I ask for prayer concerns and we would pray. Now, we can get up to, I believe last night we had over 70-something people on the call. I wanted to get up to a, at least 100. If we were to do prayer meeting in the church, we probably wouldn't even have five people. But on that call, we're on our way to at least 100. Can you imagine what will happen if we get 100 people in prayer sincerely? But now, here's what I pushed us on last night. That over the next several weeks, I want to focus on praying dangerous prayers. And what do I mean by praying dangerous prayers? I mean praying prayers that are out the box that only God can bring to pass. I'm talking about praying prayers that is so uh, bodacious, so courageous, so invigorating. Not, not, not just a prayer, Lord, uh, help me pay my bills and stuff. I'm talking about praying prayers that only God can answer. Guess what that requires? That requires you listening. That requires devotion. That requires sincere communication. I'm talking about praying real prayers, not just these churchy prayers where we use this flowery language, you know, uh, the language where, now Lord, here we are once more again. God, our head bowed down to the mother earth. And oh Lord, I want you to come see. No, 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 no. I'm talking about sincere prayers. Not performative prayers. I think I just said something. Sincere prayers. Asking God for something that only God can bring to pass. Okay? Because guess what I've discovered about God? God does not care if your subjects and verbs agree or disagree. God does not care if you stutter in your prayers. God is looking at your heart. God is looking at the time you're putting in with him. So I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about these performative prayers. I'm talking about sincere prayer. Okay? All right. 
So, be serious, be watchful in your prayers. Now, also what I want to remind you is the fact that Peter, again, is under the mindset that Jesus Christ is coming back. And I want to talk about how do you and I make preparations for the Lord coming back? Because guess what? The Lord going to come back for all of us. Now, either it's going to be his return in what is called the second coming, or he's going to come back for you when you die. <laughs> but in either case, the Lord is coming back. Let me say that again. All of us are going to see the coming of the Lord. Either it will be his second coming or it will be when you die. But guess what? For the Christian, for the disciple, for the person who has committed her or his life to the Lord, the Lord is coming back. And this is what you, this is how you prepare for that. You got to live each day as if Jesus is coming back at once. Can't, you know, you, you got to be careful about living sloppily. You got to be careful about living sloppily. You got to live each day as if Jesus Christ is coming back. And, 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 and what does it look like? That when he does come back, you want to make sure he don't catch you doing stuff that's antithetical to whom you profess to be. Live each day as if he's coming back. You got to keep a clear head and, and not get carried away with your own indulgences. You got to discipline yourself and stay alert for prayer. You need to make active expressions of love a priority. You need to be faithful in your stewardship. And in everything, praise God as a source of your power. All of that is in these verses that I'm getting ready to further unpack. So let's look at verse 8, which is very, which is very, very rich, but it's often misquoted and misinterpreted. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of, of all sins. For love covers a multitude of all sins. Now in the New King James Version, it talks about have fervent love for one another. In some other translations, it says deeply love one another. Okay. Now, when we look at this word fervent, um, when we look at this word fervent love, in, in a sense, it is a straining love or um, eager love. It is this desire to have your muscles tighten up 
as you're straining to win a race. Okay? So, so this is where we get this idea of um, fervent. It's, 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 it's a tension. It's a tension of the will. It's, it's dealing with like when your muscles tense up. Now, how, how does this make sense as far as us having fervent love, deep love, or tense, tense love for one another? A Christian's unselfish love, because the word love, fervent love, that word is agape. For love, agape in this text will cover a multitude of sin. And when we look at this, this, this phrase, it is really talking about you and me being a disciple of Jesus Christ, having an unselfish love and concern for others, exercised to the point where we strain to be a blessing to others as far as their welfare is concerned. Okay? Now I'm getting ready to go real deep on y'all now. I'm getting ready ready to go real deep on y'all right now. All right? Notice what Peter says. And above all things, have fervent love for who? One another. For love covers a multitude of sins. Ooh, I'm getting ready to have fun and blow y'all out the water right now. This is why this, you know, thank you God for the revelation. This this, this, this phrase right here, this, this phrase right here, hopefully and prayerfully will help us to understand a few things. And, and I could just take verse eight and really spend the rest of my time in our study unpacking it, but I don't want to be that unfair to you all because I really want to get through all of this because it's going to bless you. But this is where I want to blow y'all out the water. This kind of strenuously maintained love is not blind to the faults and the sins of others. (laughs) It's not blind to the faults and the sins of others. Okay? Okay? It, 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 it is not it is not saying oh, you do whatever you want to eh. no 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 uh uh-uh. uh no uh, this 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 type of love m- means it is a sustained eager earnest love it is you keeping your love at full strength even when folks have faults. Now, I know I'm I'm getting ready to mess you all up. I'm getting ready to mess you all up. Notice what Peter says. And above all, have fervent love, watch this, for one another. Who is he talking about? The one another. What Peter is talking about in this context, 
in this context, in this context, is you having fervent, deep, sustained, tense love for those who are other disciples. This is the church, which is which 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 when I hear people say, when I hear people say, I love Jesus, but I hate church. Um, and, 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 and it is prevalent among all different generations. You know, I, I don't go to church cause they mess up. Well, the interesting thing is for love covers a multitude of sin. He's talking about those in the church that all of us sin and fall short, but we are still watch this to maintain agape love. Now I'm connecting some dots. I'm getting ready and I'm getting ready to blow us out the water because that agape love is the love of the Holy Spirit that empowers us to love the unlovable. <laughs> and sometimes, yes, church folks, Christians, disciples can be rather unlovable. He is not saying you accept the faults of others. Okay, but he is saying love despite their faults. Now, I'm drilling something down here because when he says have fervent love for one another, he is talking about those that are part of the household of faith, that people ought to see how we love each other and they see how we love each other despite our shortcomings and they will want to be a part of that fellowship based upon how we love each other despite our shortcomings. All right? Which means that no disciple of Jesus Christ is called to do this work by herself or himself. No one is an island. No one is expected to be alone. That's why church exists. I don't care what nobody says. The church is the best thing the Lord has going on as far as the world is concerned. The church is the best thing, the local fellowship, the koinonia, as well as the ecclesia. Koinonia, local fellowship. St. Paul is a local fellowship. Church, ecclesia, the universal church. That is the church Jesus Christ is coming back for that has no denomination. So even the local fellowship is the best thing that God has going as far as the world is concerned because we have been given a charge that nobody else is given. We have something that no other organization on earth has. We got the gospel. And we are charged with the sharing of the gospel. And so watch this. And so when disciples experience deep love from the fellowship you got a human network that will support you through any crisis I, I, I want to share this that um, my my um, my 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 in-laws still belong to the church I used to serve back in St. Louis Central Baptist Church and 
uh, it was conveyed to uh, our first lady, Pierre, uh, that one of the disciples of that church had died. One of the disciples of that church had died. And he died in this apartment complex. And the people, when they found him dead, did not know of any of his family members. They didn't know anything about that. But they knew he attended Central Baptist Church. And because someone knew he attended Central Baptist Church, they got in touch with my parents-in-law, my mother and father-in-law, told them that this person had died. And because my in-laws used to call and check up on him, just to see how he was doing. They were then able to connect with the church to find out who his folks were. Even though they did not know, they started drilling down and they were able to let his folks know that he had died or unless he would have become a John Doe. There is something to be said about being connected and doing life together. And of course, I think that we even see that here in a very intentional and a major way here at St. Paul. Uh, it amazes me how I see the connection between people uh, when they're going through suffering and when they're struggling with things and even when they die. But this goes back to something that Jesus dropped on us when he was here on, on earth um, during his ministry where he told us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, and he is speaking these words, I want you to hear me again, to his disciples. Now, I want to deal with this phrase, love covers a multitude of sin. This is Peter quoting the writer of the wisdom literature known as Proverbs. And if you look at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, you will see that quote actually goes something like this. Hatred stirs up strife. And basically strife is confusion, or as I like to say sometimes, hatred stirs up hell. <laughs> but love covers all sins. This does not mean that love ignores sin, that love overlooks sin, or that love tries to hide sin. I believe that Peter is probably looking back on his words earlier in chapter 4 and trying to tell the believers that they should live the rest of their lives according to God's will and not their human desires. And as believers, watch this, they are finished with sin. The covering of sins then is the ability that we as disciples have to forgive each other because Jesus Christ has forgiven us. That love now becomes that buffer, that cushion that smooths out the bumps and irritations caused by fellow believers. Remember, I've said plenty of times, if you say that you love God but hate your fellow brothers and sisters, you are a liar and the thief and, and you are a liar and, and, and God is not with you. 
So, so again, when we talk about love covering the multitude of sin, it's not that it's overlooking. And it's not that it's ignoring. And it's not that it doesn't hold you accountable for your sins. But what it does, it allows for you to forgive. Because when you understand that you have been forgiven by Christ Jesus, not only on the cross, but every day constantly and consistently, then it should empower you to forgive others. That's what this is talking about. That's what this is talking about. Let me go on to verse 9. Verse 9 says, Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Let me, let me just say that hospitality is different than entertaining. <laughs> Many of us know how to entertain, but very few of us know how to be hospitable. Because when we entertain, we want to make sure the home is spotless. You got all the food prepared that you are relaxed and you're good-natured, that, you know, you got everything that the folks you're entertaining and that y'all going to have a good time. That's entertainment. Hospitality focuses on the guests, not on the host. Hospitality is not about the host looking good, but doing whatever you can to make the guests comfortable be it a place to stay, be it giving them food, be it giving a listening ear, a comforting word, or a shoulder to cry on. Hospitality is really a form of congregational care. Teach, Robert Scott, I'm trying to do the best that I can. See, let me drop this on you. Hospitality can happen even if your house ain't sparkling clean. Hospitality can happen not around steak and potatoes, but around chicken noodle soup. Hospitality can can happen as the host and the guest may be doing some work together. Hospitality can happen even when you're tired. Or when you feel like you don't have enough. Because hospitality is an expression of love. Now, back during this time, the disciples of Jesus Christ really depended upon hospitality. Remember, Jesus depended upon the hospitality of others. Jesus even said, foxes have holes. And the birds of the air have nets, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He had no place that he could call his own, but he always he depended upon the hospitality of others to put him up. Okay? Jesus will always sleep it on somebody else's couch. <laughs> and, and back during that time, back during that time, the disciples had to depend upon the hospitality of others as they travel. There was no Holiday Inn. There was no Hilton Hotel. There was no Marriott. Didn't have any fancy hotels like we got uh, uh, in today's culture. Basically, 
uh, traveling preachers and teachers had to depend upon Christians to give them a place to stay. And if anybody knows this quite well, it's the black church, especially black preachers and pastors who are at least 70 and older because when they were coming up during the time of the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, many of them could not stay in hotels. They had to stay in the homes of deacons and pastors and others. So we know something about good hospitality. And what hospitality does, it draws people together and it allows for them to get to know each other. One of the things that I love the fact that whenever we bring someone in to be a blessing to us through the preaching and the teaching or even the singing um, or their use of their singing gifts, we try to be very hospitable. We try to make sure that they're good. Now, we ain't going overboard with some of these outlandish requests that some folks make. You know, um, some preachers have become so full that they want to send you a rider telling them, well, this is what we request and things like that. And when I see that stuff, I'm going like, thank you, but no thanks. But we're going to make sure that if you come to the St. Paul Church, if we ask you to come, that we're going to take care of you. Okay? We're going to take care of you. We're going to do the very best that we can with what we have. And we're going to take care of you. Now, here's the other thing. He says, do it without complaining or grumbling. Now, let's, let's be honest. <clears throat> Had to clear my throat on that. Because sometimes you're trying to show hospitality to God's folks, folks will get on your reserve nerve. That's the nerve past the last nerve. I hate to say it. There are sometimes when hospitality can be hard work because some folks are more difficult than others. And there are times when hospitality can become more of a duty than it is a joy. And Peter is saying, whatever you do, do it without grumbling. Do it without grumbling. Do it without grumbling. Why would anyone complain about hospitality? Well, think about it. When you have guests, they eat you. They can eat you out of a house and a home. Hospitality is expensive. Food ain't cheap. Also, guests can take your energy. You know, sometimes when you have guests, they talk about all the stuff they're going through and if you want to be gracious, you listen to it. But let's, let's be honest, it can be tedious because you got your own stuff. And, 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 and showing hospitality takes time, and that's something you can't get back. Okay? But the Bible says, show hospitality. That's an investment. And let the rest take its course. Take it course. Because guess what? Your time belongs to God. The food in your food in your cabinets belong to God. Your energy belongs to God. Your spirit belongs to God. And so we're called to treat people like royalty. 
I love it when people, the word gets out um, that when anyone comes through um, our church here, uh, the word is, boy, if you ever go to St. Paul, you're going to be treated well. That's a sign that we are trying to operate in the gift of hospitality. And here at St. Paul, we want to do it what? Peter makes a shift in verse 10. He talks about as each one has received the gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The word gift here is in the Greek charisma. Um, this is a gift that comes from the, the spirit. Minister, the word minister is a derivative of the word diakonos, which is where we get the word deacon. So it's basically servant. So Peter is saying, as each one of you who have received your spiritual gift, minister, serve one another, and remember you are a steward of the gift that God has given to you by grace. The word grace is charis. Okay, the word grace is charis. That's, that's, that's the name for our daughter. Um, Pierre and I named our daughter Karis. Now, it's really pronounced Karis, but I got folks in Mississippi that would jack it up, so we call her Charis. <laughs> but the proper pronunciation is Karis, like Christopher or Christmas. So, um, we are gifted by the Holy Spirit, and we have to give an account of these gifts that God has given us. Now, what we got to understand is that the spiritual gift is an ability given to us by the Holy Spirit to be a blessing for the church. It, it, it is the capacity for us to serve God's people in a supernatural way as we spread the gospel. You will see listings of gifts particularly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14 and Romans chapter 12, particularly verses 1 through 9. All right? Um, when we as followers of Jesus Christ recognize that we can't do this work apart from the spirit of Christ and recognize that we're called to do this in partnership to the body of Christ, then our gifts become magnified and effective. And then you can appreciate somebody else's gift. Because guess what? When you and I are saved by the Holy Spirit, that moment we get the Holy Spirit, we are gifted by the Holy Spirit to do certain things that we could not in and of ourselves do. But the gift is not for our own personal uh, edification. It is for the edifying of the body. It is for us to serve the body. And most believers have a multiplicity of gifts, but all believers have at least one gift to do and to engage in the work and the service of the kingdom of God. And so what we have to understand is that our gifts are meant to be a blessing to others in the church. And as being good stewards mean you're not, you can't hide your gift, but you got to use them 
to build up the body of Christ. Now, this is what I want you to understand. Your ability, my ability should be faithfully used in being a blessing to others. We, we don't do this stuff for enjoyment. You don't have the right to use your gift when you want to, how you want to, and for whom. Some of you feel like you don't have a gift. You do. You got a gift. God has entrusted something to you to minister, and you got to find a way to do it. If you see a need in the church, meet it the best way you can. Let me say that again. If you see a need in the church, even though it may not even perfectly match your gift, try to do something to help. Don't withhold your capacity to minister or to serve. Because guess what? You got to give an account for that. Well, as I come in the home stretch, let me just say that Peter then says, anyone speaks, let him speak as an oracle of God. So anyone minister, let him do it to the ability that God supplies that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Now, different people kind of differ on what Peter means when he says that anyone speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. There are some who think that Peter at this moment is dividing um, uh, Christian service into two uh, categories, speaking and serving. And, and there are those who think that he is going back even to when the church office of deacon came into play in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Remember during that time, the apostles who were the pastors of the church were, had to deal with the controversy between the Hebraic Jews and the Greek Jews because the widows were not receiving their daily allotment or, or benevolence. And um, the apostles came before the congregation and said, you know, uh, we need to focus on the word. And why do we need to take time away from the word and from prayer to deal with this? We want you to give us the name of seven men who are... Have, have, a, have a good report who are filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom that we, the apostles, may put over this work. And the Bible says that they chose seven men. Of those seven men, they were of Greek Jewish descent because all of their names were Greek as far as their derivatives were concerned. And the apostles, the pastors of the church, put those seven men to handle that business while they continue to work on, watch this, their speaking gifts, preaching and teaching the word of God. Um, so there are those who think that, that, that this is referring to this, but we got to understand that the speaking and the serving gifts overlap. Let me say that again. The speaking and the serving gifts overlap. We speak to empower people to serve and people serve so they can bring others to, so they can hear us speak. So there is an overlapping as far as uh, those words are concerned. And, and so what Peter is doing at this time is encouraging believers to use their gifts 
Um, and if you're going to speak, you're going to be held responsible for what you say. God holds you accountable for what you say. Because when you're speaking, it is like you're speaking for God. And it's a whole lot of stuff that is being said in pulpits that is being taught that God ain't got nothing to do with. But eventually those people are going to be held accountable, not only in the afterlife, but even in this life, that they would be held accountable to God. Because when you speak, you are speaking the very words. That's what the, or the word oracle means, the very words of God. That, that, that sets you apart from everyday conversation. That, that's why it's important that, that, that when we are in a worship context, we ought to speak God's word. We should be serious after prayer, careful prayer and study that we're speaking God's truth through preaching and teaching. You can't take this stuff frivolously. In, in other words, this is more than just motivational speaking. This, this ain't a time, uh, preaching and teaching ain't a time for you to uh, just go on cracking a whole bunch of jokes and making folks laugh. It's serious. It's serious because eternity weighs in the balance. It's serious. But not only that, also people are called to serve. And they're called to serve not in their strength, but in the strength of God. That's what it means when it says the ability which God supplies. That comes through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So whenever we use our gifts, either speaking or serving, we ought to be relying upon the power of God. So watch this, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And that's who ultimately deserves all the glory, honor, and praise because it ain't our power it's God's power. Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Well, I hope this time of, of sharing uh, has been a blessing. Um, are there any questions? If there are not any questions that we can answer through our online chat, um, I, I want you to, at this time, uh, make preparations as far as serving is concerned. One of the ways that we can serve is through giving. Giving is service. It really is. And I, I want to commend uh, the disciples of St. Paul and those who partner with us as far as these acts of giving are concerned. I, I want to thank you. And you have a wonderful opportunity right now to partner with us through serving by giving. Here at St. Paul, there are three ways you can give. The first one is either by mailing your check or money order to the church at 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte 28205. Or you can drop off cash, check or money order here at the church. Uh, but make sure someone is here to receive your offering by calling the church at 704-334-5309. The second way you can give is through our church website. Uh, through ACS or Church Life. And then the third way you can give is through the app called Givelify. You can download that app to your smart device 
connect it to your favorite credit card, and in three clicks, you can give uh, to St. Paul as we do the work of ministry in the church and mission outside the church. So I want to thank you uh, as you make preparation to uh, serve the Lord through your giving. And I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to uh, partake as far as this time of teaching is concerned. So let's seal this moment with a prayer and a benediction. God, we thank you for those who have tuned in to partake of this teaching moment. We pray, oh God, that you will seal it now by your spirit. We pray, oh God, that you will help us to apply the things we have learned from this pericope, this text, so that we can be bright light shining in the dark and hurting world. Thank you, God, for the master teacher you are. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. But listen, God bless you. Have a smile upon you. And we hope and pray that you will join us on next Thursday as we continue to work our way through First Peter.